0: This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 123. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, can you issue a 30B6 style trial subpoena addressed simply to corporate representative with knowledge on the topics listed in exhibit A? All right, so today's topic is an interesting one. Can you prepare a trial subpoena addressed simply to say, quote, corporate representative with the most knowledge about the matters identified on the attached topic list, close quote, and then compel the opposing entity to produce someone at trial for examination about the topics without ever having taken a 30B6 deposition during discovery. So it's clearly proper to compel a corporate rep to appear and testify about topics if you're in discovery and if you're taking a discovery deposition under Rule 30B6, or its state equivalents. But can you import that 30B6 concept into a trial subpoena, the same as if you'd noticed a corporate rep deposition? Or is that really just a deposition in the middle of trial? Courts have gone both ways, although the gathering decisions that seem more thorough in their analysis uniformly say you cannot use the concept of a corporate rep deposition to simply issue a trial subpoena to corporate rep and attach a list of topics you want to question them about in the middle of the final hearing or trial. Now we've listed nine opinions in the show notes for your research purposes. Five say no, you can't do it. Four say yes, although two of those have been sharply criticized and a third that said yes relies mostly on the two that have taken heat We've also included two other resources in the show notes. One is a citation to an actual subpoena that was served using this technique. And on the flip side, we've pointed you to uh, included the citation to a well drafted motion to quash a trial subpoena directed generically to a corporate representative with a list of attached topics. And we cited to that motion because it's very well written and the arguments are easy to understand and complete. So it's a useful model if you find yourself in the position of opposing a 30B-6 style trial subpoena. Now, you'll want to check your jurisdiction to see if your courts have ruled on this, but the nine or ten cases in the show notes are a pretty good representative of what's out there. Again, some courts have said it's okay. So if you were to use a trial subpoena in this manner, issued not to a specific person, But to the generic descriptive corporate representative, you'd clearly have a good faith basis for doing so, assuming you're not in a jurisdiction where a rule or where binding precedent forbids it. I suspect some trial judges have allowed this occasionally because it seemed fair in a given context. The courts that have allowed it pointed to specific facts in the case that the judge felt justified allowing a trial subpoena in this manner. And because these kinds of tactical, fact-specific rulings at the trial court level don't often get appealed, we see conflicting views from courts around the country that have remained in place and unresolved for years. I was in a federal courtroom some time ago, awaiting the start of my pretrial conference, when a lawyer in the pretrial conference just finishing up raised this issue, this exact issue, and drew a scorching response from the judge to the effect that serving a subpoena on a corporate rep was a discovery tool and not appropriate for compelling a witness to appear at trial under the federal subpoena rule, Rule 45. That exchange, like many I suspect take place on this topic, did not result in a written order, much less a published order. And so we don't always have the kind of reliable guidance that we need in the reported case law. Point being, it's important to research your jurisdiction first and foremost, when the issue services, using the resources in our show notes to get you started. Keep in mind, too, that the decisions in the show notes on this topic span a period of more than 30 years. So what does that mean? It means it's important to know, when analyzing this issue in one of your cases, which version of the subpoena rule governs your situation and which version was in play in the reported decisions the version relied on in a published decision might well have been amended since then so as i've emphasized many times in particular with respect to deposition related research it's crucial to know a the version of the subpoena rule in place when a court ruling was issued b whether the court applied the correct version and c the version in effect at the time of events in your case for example Uh, One decision in the show notes dates back to 1989. Another decision we've provided you was issued about two weeks ago. Since the 1989 opinion, however, the federal subpoena rule, Rule 45, has been amended five times in 1981, 2005, 2006, 2007, and 2013. Now, not all of those amendments touch specifically on this issue, but it does reinforce the point that older decisions can become irrelevant with the collective stroke of a pen by the committees that amend these rules. And if you're looking at the interplay between two rules, such as here, Rule 45 and Rule 30B6, it's important to identify and analyze the application of changes to both of them. And finally, of course, it's also important to double check and verify your opponent's research as well. All right, let's take a quick run through the arguments against issuing a trial subpoena directed generically to a corporate rep and attaching a list of topics they should be prepared to discuss at trial. Then we'll flip the script and run through the arguments in favor of allowing it. Cases that say you can't advance the following reasonings. They say, one, Rule 30B-6 specifically applies to the deposition of a corporation. The text of Rule 45, the subpoena rule, on the other hand, references the service of subpoenas on named persons. There is no provision in Rule 45 allowing a 30B-6 type designation of areas of inquiry. That's the Hill versus National Railroad case in the show notes. And the failure of a trial subpoena to name a specific person is by itself fatal. That's the Legion Systems case in the show notes, which cited Federal Rule 45A1A3, and 45B1. Second point we see made in the cases. Allowing this technique would run afoul of the subpoena power of the court to the extent that the person that would need to be produced is beyond the geographic subpoena power of the tribunal. That's the Hill versus National Railroad and Hill versus Homeward Residential cases. Next point. Subpoenas to corporate representatives are often not accompanied by the tender of payment appearance at hearing or trial because the party serving it usually will not be able to name the witness and doesn't know where they are, rendering the subpoena invalid for that reason, failure to tender payment. I covered that in the book, 10,000 Depositions Later, on page 155, section 4.02II, and I cited several cases there about the need to accompany a subpoena with a tender of payment and the consequences of failing to do so. Next argument, the mechanisms in 30B-6 simply have no application to Rule 45, and to conclude otherwise would be to allow Rule 30 to expand the meaning of Rule 45 without any textual support in either rule. That's Legion Systems' case. Next one, Rule 30B-6 contemplates depositions during discovery, not trial, and a subpoena to summon a generic corporate representative to testify at trial or final hearing is in effect a deposition during trial and is impermissible. That's Hill versus Homeward Residential. And lastly, also from the Hill versus Homeward Residential case, which by the way was a federal appellate decision from the Sixth Circuit in 2015, the court there said Rule 45 is technical and precise and was not drafted to be modified through judicial fiat and generic notions of common sense. All right. Uh, the cases allowing this assert the following that say you can serve a 30 b6 style trial subpoena. These courts tend to say well, there's no specific prohibition in the rules against compelling the appearance of a corporation at a trial through the use of a 30 b6 style subpoena. Several courts said that the court has the trial judge has the discretionary power to require parties to produce corporate representatives. To testify on behalf of the entity and a corporate representative, even assuming it's in the nature of a 30B6 style subpoena, could be deemed a party not subject to the strict geographic limitations on subpoenas of, a, of individual witnesses. That's the Conyers versus Balboa, the Esplenda tree, and the aristocrat leisure cases in the show notes. All three saying that the corporate representative should be or could be deemed a party party regardless of whether the designated representative is an officer in the company and should be produced, even if he or she resides outside the 100-mile geographical limit of Rule 45. And lastly, these courts tend to say that the parties from whom corporate designee testimony is usually sought in these circumstances are likely to have known for some time or should have reasonably anticipated, having to give testimony about a given topic, and so enforcement of this kind of trial subpoena is not burdensome. That's from the HTC Corporation case in the show notes. All right, so there you are. As always, a very interesting topic. We've given you a good outline of the law in this area, the cases for and against a sample subpoena and a sample motion to quash in opposition to that kind of subpoena. And we've also given you the core arguments for and against. This isn't necessarily a rare phenomenon. You might well have encountered it yourself. Sometimes lawyers may serve these kinds of subpoenas in good faith without thinking it through or appreciating that there's an issue to be researched. Certainly in the case uh, where I was awaiting a pretrial conference where I saw the dialogue between a federal judge and a litigator who raised this, it seemed clear That the lawyer had not pondered whether there might be a distinction in terms of who and how you subpoenaed deponents during discovery versus final hearing or trial. Completely understandable. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have a moment, my production staff would genuinely appreciate it if you would go to wherever you download your podcast and leave us a five-star rating and maybe a nice comment about something relating to the podcast that you really appreciate. That kind of feedback, the ratings and the comments really motivate us to produce these high quality episodes and to provide you with free and valuable research in the show notes. The goal, as always, is to generate short to the point episodes on single topics with the research to back it up and get you started. So the ratings in the various podcast forums are really fantastic and you have no idea how positively They affect our production crew. They do pay attention to those, and it should only take you a moment. Thank you again, and we'll talk to you again soon.